0: Even the way the bill was written, there there was no ability for the judge to increase the sentence because of the bias, and it was never mentioned in that bill. So there's, there's just a bunch of, I think, poorly written language right now that we still have another
1: half the session to, to work out. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus.
2: Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana, this is in Focus with Dan Spieler.
1: A lot of headlines in the nation's capital as we prepare for the long-awaited Mueller report. Had been some indications that could be coming next week. Now the DOJ pushing back on that somewhat, saying it probably won't be coming out this next week. Coming up, we'll be talking with members of our congressional delegation about all the latest developments in D.C. But we start today at the State House, where these two words, including bias are causing a lot of controversy. Those words in the stripped down hate crimes bill, replacing specific language that had referred to a number of characteristics like race, religion, and sexual orientation. That bill now heads from the Senate to the House as we reach the halfway point of this year's session. Our Trevor Shirley has more.
2: That vote Thursday afternoon means Indiana's hate crimes bill will live to see another day, capping off a week here at the state house that was at times surprising and at other
3: times tense. I want to know that justice can exist for both myself and my family if something were to happen to me.
4: It's unnecessary because we currently have laws that give extra penalties. We, we, we apply
2: all to everyone.
5: What this amendment, amendment does is it takes, takes away the very same, very same people who need to be protected under
6: our law. Give us some kind of respect, give us some kind of dignity.
0: So this whole conversation has always been philosophically is do you, do you include a list in which you can Uh, maybe leave somebody off of there or do you make it more general so that everybody can be included? What
2: are we afraid of? What's so hard about saying clearly specifically these are the things that we condemn? Governor Eric Holcomb has repeatedly called for a specific list of protected groups something it appears his own party members in the Senate aren't willing to give him. I don't like being opposite the governor on a particular issue. The amendment's author, Republican State Senator Aaron Freeman, says he based the wording on a 2003 Indiana Supreme Court decision, which ruled a judge could consider bias as an aggravating factor. And I use that language, put it in our code to make it very clear what judges and prosecutors can use. Only one Republican, State Senator Ron Alting, voted against the bill. Democrats were uniformly opposed to the measure. They made a last-ditch effort to convince members to vote against the bill as it started stood. That effort failed, though. The bill now survives, but without that specific list of protections. For me, the list is not inclusive
4: enough. One thing we'll make sure is that everybody's included nobody's excluded at all uh, from the bill, Uh, but we do have a lot of work to do.
2: That bill now moves on to the House, where it will likely undergo more revisions and potentially more amendments. No word yet on when the House is expected to get its first look at the bill. Reporting at the state house,
1: I'm Trevor Shirley. Now back to you. Okay, Trevor, thank you. Indiana, by the way, one of five states without a hate crimes law. Governor Holcomb referencing that in a statement this week saying, quote, the version of the bill approved by the Senate does not get Indiana off the list of states without a biased crime law. We have a long way to go, a lot of work to do, says the governor, and fortunately the time yet still to do it. And from South Bend Mayor and potential presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, It is a source of, quote, deep embarrassment that our state is one of just five. With no hate crime law, he says Indiana deserves better. Meantime, a lot of headlines in Washington this week, including news on former Indiana Senator Dan Coats. Perhaps on his way out as director of national intelligence, our Matt Smith has more. President Trump at the White House on whether he's
5: considering firing Dan Coats. I haven't even thought about it. Take that how you will. Alongside this, this week, a friend of the president on CNN.
4: There's a feeling that Uh-oh. maybe there needs to be a change of leadership.
5: Washington Post reported President Trump is frustrated with Coates, Indiana's former senator, and now the director of national intelligence, leading some administration officials concerned he'll soon be replaced. The president earlier this month.
3: Confidence in Gina Haspel and Dan Coats to give you good
1: advice? No, I disagree with certain things that they said. I think I'm right.
5: Indiana Republican Congressman Jim Banks.
6: Well, it would, it would be a, a terrible move by the president to get rid of Dan Coats. Uh, he's been a loyal um, advisor and member of this administration since day one. And um, I understand there might be frustrations here or there along the way, but uh Dan Coates has served this president well.
5: Banks, alongside several other lawmakers, publicly speaking out in strong support for Coats. Congresswoman Susan Brooks from Indiana telling us it would be very worrisome if the president removed Coats due to differences of opinion, saying she trusts his expertise to keep us safe.
6: The president's entitled to surround himself with the people that he chooses fit to carry out his agenda. And um, I, 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 hope, uh, I hope he doesn't get rid of get rid of Director
0: Coates. Director Colt is an honorable person. He's an honorable human being. He's, he's someone that I, I, I see often. He's a good Hoosier. Um, it would be unfortunate. Uh, it's not un, uh, unusual for someone like Colt, who has served uh, as a legislator to have a different viewpoint. He served on the Senate Intel Committee, and I think that his lens is one that's steep in institutional knowledge and public service and I think he's he's outspoken enough you want uh, your your Intel directors to be outspoken and I think Trump seems uh, at unease to have a director give him contradictory information that goes against his personal beliefs.
1: All right, Matt Smith reporting for us. Matt, thanks. Congressman Carson, who you saw there, is on the House Intelligence Committee. They'll be hearing from Michael Cohen this week. Now, we also took this question about Dan Coats to current Indiana Senator Mike Braun, among other topics making news in D.C., like the president's national emergency and the approaching conclusion at some point in the near future, perhaps, of the Mueller probe. The senator sat down this week with our Frank Mickens. Senator, thanks so much for joining us.
2: I'll start with the Mueller probe. We're hearing that it could be wrapping up. We could get something sent to the attorney general in the next week or so.
6: Do you want it publicized to the general public? I think at this stage of the game, if you don't uh, air it out there, there are going to be questions of uh, what's within it. So um, I think it's going to be up to the attorney general in terms of what happens. But uh, my belief on almost anything is... Transparency, you know, peer into it because if not, people are going to question, you know, what actually happens. So, uh, of course, he'll do what he thinks is probably correct, and I'll respect that. But I'd err on the side of uh, wanting to know what's within it. The national emergency declaration
2: to fund the border wall—you uh, were in favor of that. Why
6: do you think this is the call that needed to be made? So, I was in favor for the fact that I think once it got to the finish line, you know, he ran on border security. Most Americans believe we need some form of absolute border security. That's morphed, of course, from a wall everywhere to a barrier in places into smart technology. I knew it was going to end up there eventually. But President Trump, that was one of the centerpieces of what he ran on, got so little compared to what most Democrats wanted to do with funding levels 10, 15 times as much as what went through. So I knew also that you declare an emergency, and that's going to get held up in the courts. Because the money that they got is similar to what the money they've been getting for years.
2: It just seems like maybe the way he went about it didn't help. So
6: the style and the way he ran and won in 16, I think, was what got him across the finish line the style in terms of how you govern whether you're the CEO of the company like I've been over the years or whether you're the president of the United States whether you're a key senator trying to get things done style and substance are important because you got to get along with people you got to bring others that disagree with you at least to listen to what you have to say and I think that's where the president has had some difficulty. Because so do you
2: agree with his style with this particular
6: issue? I of the think wall? in many ways I know my style would be to reach across and to try to not maybe antagonize as much simply because maybe somebody's hitting you hard. That's his style. I mean, it, everybody's got a different package that they bring to the table. Can we talk about Dan Coats, former Indiana senator, now
2: director of national intelligence, reports lately indicating he might be on the way out. Would you agree with that decision, especially in the environment we're in right now? We're
6: about to have a summit with Kim Jong-un in Vietnam. Yep. So, again, look at issues like North Korea, look at Iran, look at the world stage before the president came along. We weren't hitting it out of the park. I mean, all of these were on the precipice of a significant event. I think you backed away a little bit, of course, in North Korea. Nobody gives credit for that. Uh, I think the Iran deal was crazy when you shoved all those assets, I think $150 billion in their direction, stuff that we were holding. Uh, sanctions relieved 100, or $1.5 billion in cash. That didn't make sense. I think that's working out better. So there are honest differences in opinion. Senator but Dan Coats, I think, is Senator getting criticized Coates, for coming out in public Senator and not Coates, appearing to be a Trump. Uh, National Security Advisor Coats, is now in a position to where he's seeing things differently from President Trump. And, again, part of the style of President Trump is you're going to have conflicts from within because he has a strong opinion on everything. Whether that means you can't get along in some fashion and move forward, who knows? I think if you're so far apart... That's when you part company, because it's not a workable relationship. Whether we're there yet, I think uh, it's too early to tell. All right. Much more of that interview on our website. Also up next, he won the Indiana
1: primary in 2016. Now Bernie Sanders is running for president. And again, his campaign seems to have some Democrats divided. And a lot of scrutiny on the state Senate voting on that hate crimes bill. But in particular, one senator facing some additional scrutiny because he's also running for mayor in Indianapolis. Here, what Senator Merritt is saying about his vote coming up. All right, let's bring in our panel now. Vice Chair of the 2016 Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel, two former state lawmakers, Democrat Christina Hale, Republican Mike Murphy, and former Communications Director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Let's start with this controversy over the hate crimes bill at the Statehouse. Can the governor convince fellow Republicans to include a list of specific characteristics and how controversial could all of this get?
3: It's obviously controversial because Republicans are making it controversial. It's not controversial in 45 other states. That being said, this was a very disappointing week, um, not just for Democrats, but for Hoosiers. There is a lot of uh, felt between here and the pocket, to use a pool analogy. Uh, I think we can get there, um, but it's not going to be an easy process. Well,
1: does the governor have the, the political capital, the
3: muscle oh,
0: sure. to it's, convince it, Republicans It can be to done. There's plenty of time, but they everybody has to be reasonable. And the bill, as it was presented in the Senate, was not reasonable. One example, they included... Is a protected class relatives of law enforcement officers without defining relative that made me a protected class because my uncle's an FBI agent mm-hmm. you have to be sensible you have to understand the law is going to be enforced and you have to be precise and it was written
1: very poorly and look, a lot of discussions about hate crimes in the news this week, not just this debate at the state House but also the uh, the apparent hoax involving uh, Jesse Smollett very politicized and also what may have been an actual hate crime killing in Indianapolis
7: it's extremely politicized and you know it really causes us to pause and think about what is most important and how do we to protect people who are in these very dire situations we've had other situations in the past year too that have threatened our Jewish community our Muslim community and we just cannot stand for it let alone the public perception of how Indiana feels about our LGBT plus community it's beyond time to do something
1: Some have suggested this could turn into RIFRA 2.0 at the State House.
7: Yeah,
4: I think everyone needs to bring the temperature down a little bit. There's no real reason to uh, advance any hate towards each other and and, uh, overdramatize. It's an important issue. What's good now is that it's being discussed. There's plenty of time in in the legislative session. It's a process. We all know that. We hear that all the time. The governor has been calling legislators in his office to discuss it with them. You know, there are, there are valid arguments on both sides of this issue. What Senator Freeman did in the Senate was the best thing for the bill at the time because it was going to die. It wasn't going to make it through the Senate. Now there's the opportunity for it to be discussed in the House. Uh, where it needs to, where the next step will be taken. Where it
1: now moves forward. Okay, also an in Indianapolis uh, mayoral candidate, State Senator Jim Merritt, facing some scrutiny over his vote on the hate crime bill. He voted for the watered-down bill on Thursday, but against the controversial amendment earlier in the week. Here's what he said on the Senate floor.
0: We must leave no doubt that Indiana welcomes all. We must leave no doubt that we are committed to inclusion. A fully inclusive hate crimes law makes it clear that targeted acts of hate will not be tolerated in Indiana.
1: Merritt went on to say, let's hope Senate Bill 12 evolves into that kind of bill. But the state chair for the Indiana Democrats criticized Merritt for voting to advance the bill after voting against the amendment, saying that the vote, quote, sent a strong message to Indianapolis voters that when push comes to shove, Merritt would rather stand with the out-of-touch views of his conservative allies said, Zodi, it's clear he's still more interested in being all things to all people rather than fighting for equal protections for all Hoosiers. How much of an issue will this topic be in the mayoral race this year?
3: Um, probably it will be a topic, but it will depend on what Senator Merritt's final vote on this is. As someone who used to write statements like that for a living, I don't think anyone's going to remember what was said, you know, this week at the state house. They're going to remember what comes out of the sausage-making sausage, sausage making process, and this is all a little bit of too much politicization.
0: I remember everything you've ever written.
3: Everything? Oh, my biggest <laughs> was, fan, Mike Murphy. I was
1: disappointed in everything you wrote, too, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> going back to Riffer, though, he voted for Riffer, but then he voted for the fix. Um, so there's something, I suppose, to look at in every yeah. vote you take in yeah. the legislature, you served in the state.
0: Well, the, the bottom line is, in order for this to make any difference in the mayoral right, Race, there has to be a mayoral race, and for that to happen, Merritt's got to get much better with his money. I talked to him last week, you know, his goal is to have two and a half to three million dollars to run the race. Um, uh, Ballard won with a lot less money than, than uh, Peterson, but he
1: has to have money to be competitive. That should be his focus. Obviously, the uh, teacher pay issue, state budget, also uh, getting a lot of scrutiny here as we reach the halfway point.
7: A number of things. And so we're coming down to the wire now. Bills are going to jump from each house, I think, um, next week. So it's make it or break it time.
1: Meantime, a lot happening in Washington. The president awaiting the Mueller report as he prepares to travel overseas. He's also reportedly considering another shakeup in his administration. Several reports that DNI and former Indiana Senator Dan Coats could be on his way out the door. Coats has at times contradicted the president on issues of national security. The president at times seemingly doubting the information he gets from Coats and other intel chiefs. And there was that clip from the conference where Coats was told the president would consider inviting Vladimir Putin to the White House. Okay.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be special.
1: We have won against ISIS.
4: ISIS is intent on resurging and still commands
1: thousands of fighters. All right, so there's already kind of a highlight reel on these clashes uh, with Coats. What's going to happen here? What should happen?
3: What's going to happen is anyone's guess. Although this does seem to follow a familiar pattern of, you know, someone in the White House starts leaking that someone might get the axe, and then there's a denial, but then there's a, oh, he's a nice guy, and I guess we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. It'll be a real travesty if the president lets uh, Dan Coates go. And we've heard a lot of Indiana lawmakers say the same.
0: Oh, and the Indiana lawmakers are right. Dan Coates is has more character and more, quite frankly, intelligence than. Uh, than uh, Trump could ever hope to have. I stand with Dan. I think most of Indiana does as well.
7: I wrote about this last week in the IBJ. You know, I really appreciate that he has been able to stand up and use um, his acumen and experience to speak up when it needed to happen in the Oval Office um, on a number of issues from climate change to what's happening in Syria. It would be a tremendous loss that we cannot afford now.
1: But if there really is friction
4: there, is it sustainable? To have him in Well place. first of all I think, I think things are overblown. I, don't, I haven't seen an incredible report that the, the president is unhappy with him I, to, to uh, respond to your comment. Mike the President's a pretty smart guy. he's gotten himself elected and he's, he's done a lot throughout his career to prove that his intelligence. Um, Dan Coates, uh, again, nobody wants to, w- w- would challenge his service uh, public service he's been distinguished and, and excellent at everything he's done. But, you know, after two years, there might be uh, a time for a change. But I don't think uh, uh, there's any friction between the two. We'll see what happens
1: there. Uh, What about the Mueller probe? We were hearing it may come out this coming week. Now, maybe not. Um, What are we going to hear when when this is all said and done?
3: Again, I wish that I knew. It's hard to say. (laughs) And, you know, we come every week and we sit on pins and needles and we, you know, we hear leaks here. We hear, you know, new indictments here. And I honestly just don't know. And I I think that the real uh, sad situation that we're in is this has become our way of life. It's become totally normal for all of these folks to be under investigation and for for information to leak out in that way. And I think it undermines uh, our trust in democracy.
0: I think it's important not to jump the gun, not to presuppose what we're going to hear. We've learned this several times in the last few weeks with the Catholic kids from Covington High School and the the black actor from Chicago, Smollett I think his name was. The media tends to want to get out there and, and speculate because everybody has to be first, right, in this digital age. I think we ought to wait, let the report come out, and then react.
7: In the meantime, though, we are seeing some of the men who had been closest to President Trump, whether it was Cohen, Stone, or uh, Manafort, are taking a heavy fall and paying a deep personal price, perhaps the rest of their lives in prison. For some of them, um, that is something to pay attention to, and we may learn some in the coming week as well about what those indictments might say or from the congressional testimony of Michael Cohen. Whenever it
1: comes out, should the report be made public, do you think?
4: As much as you can, and that will be the new attorney general's decision, and there might be uh, classified information that can't. But it's time for it to end. It's been two years, $50 million or maybe more, Uh, the country is ready to move on. And as far as people getting in trouble. There's been plenty from the FBI that the top echelon, uh, McCabe and Comey and those guys, that's where everyone will focus, I think, when this is done.
1: Okay, we'll talk much more about it all on our podcast, but stick around. We're back with much more, the latest on the 2020 campaign right after this. Another big name in politics running for president in the Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders, who won the Indiana primary in 2016, announcing he's running this week. Technically uh, an independent. He serves as an independent senator, calls himself a Democratic socialist, obviously Jennifer continues to be a pretty polarizing figure within the Democratic Party.
3: I think there are people who are excited about this, and there are people who aren't. I count myself in that latter category, and I do not consider Bernie Sanders a Democrat. He's a socialist, and that's not going to probably be good for the party in the long term.
4: Tony, how does the Trump well, campaign look Well, what she consume? said, actually, he, he is a socialist, and he's taken the Democratic Party way over the edge, and he's going to continue to do so.
1: We'll keep watching the 2020 campaign trail. We're also going to be back after this with this week's winners and losers. Around. We'll be right back. Okay, back to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Tony.
4: My winner is State Representative Sean Eberhardt, who successfully rode a scooter up the middle of the House chamber uh, in, in explaining his scooter bill. Quite a sight there. Christina.
7: I have to say myself, I just found out my rescue puppy Pinecone uh, was diagnosed with tapeworms. Oh. Yes, but instead I've got to go with Robert Kraft being busted for trying to buy commercial sex illegally in Florida. Quite a stunning story there
1: this
0: week. So many losers this week. But I have to go with Robert Kraft from the Super Bowl ring to the prostitution ring. And the winner, on a personal note. My nephew, another Michael Murphy, was elected student body president at University of Florida this week. That's
3: great. Yeah, clearly runs in the family. Right. Uh, my loser also has to be Robert Kraft. Yeah. Uh, just a really disappointing story there. Uh, and my winner is all of us because we are finally halfway through the legislative session. And
1: we worked a lot of good personal stories in there, too. Uh, today, right? Yeah. Hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. all right talking more uh, on the podcast jennifer wagner mike murphy christina hale tony samuel and obviously a lot of news th- this week at the state house and this got pretty intense pretty quickly there uh, on the senate floor this week it,
3: it did and, and i think justifiably so and and tony said this on the on the broadcast i mean there are points to be made on either side of this debate um but i think that the points that are being made in favor of a very uh, detailed bias crimes bill are better than the points on the other side, which essentially amount to, well, this stuff's already illegal. Well, yeah, of course it is, but as a society, we say that certain kinds of crimes are worse than others, or certain types of crimes are augmented because of the motivation behind them. And it's well past time that Indiana embraces that when it comes to these categories, these folks who need to be protected for various reasons So maybe we can get there. I think we can.
1: It was a pretty impassioned debate.
0: It was. Um, People uh, like Lonnie Randolph, who's normally a relatively quiet guy in the Senate, I mean, very, very passionate about his point. And then you have Senator Freeman, who's who actually represents an area that I used to represent. And, you know, people are going to attack Senator Freeman. Um, He is a good guy who's really trying to work for the best outcome. And so he does not deserve any, you know, harassment or threats or anything like that. Um, but in the end, in the end, uh, you know, I think everybody at this table believes there should be no discrimination. It's how do you list it in a law which is very different from just all agreeing there should be no discrimination. And you know, I will still say that the judge, and even under the current bills as past passed the Senate, has the ability to consider bias as an aggravation, as somebody mentioned on the 2003 Supreme Court case. That gives any judge all the cover to, to do whatever he needs to do, even the way the bill was written there there was no ability for the judge to increase the sentence because of the bias and it was never mentioned in that bill so there's there's just a bunch of i think poorly written language right now that we still have another half the session to to work out but um is tony said well it's this Let's don't get into the hate mode. Let's get
1: into the reasonable mode and see what happens. And the governor has said the bill that passed the Senate doesn't seem acceptable to to him at this point.
7: No, and I'm very glad that he's stepping up and he's continuing to push forward for a bill that he will find acceptable, that will protect everyone that needs protecting. But it's also interesting. There are other arguments that go beyond the language or the intent of the bill. The business community, I mean, it was a who's who of... um, all of the biggest players here if you were sitting outside Come that senate chamber league. you'd yeah. see everyone coming through to say please do this for us and they felt so passionately that to attract and retain talent here in indiana we had to send the signal that indiana welcomes all and they feel this is the best way to do that it is not a club we want to be in one of five states that don't have a true hate crimes law that also signals to people that that maybe the wrong people the people that um, don't uh, operate from a position of Hoosier hospitality that this is a place they should uh,
0: pack up. But I got to say, saying you're one, I mean, with all due respect to Christina, just saying you're, you should do something because you're one of five states that haven't, hasn't done it is it, not passed That's the not lo- what I
7: said. It, I said we don't want to be in that club. Okay. I didn't it, say that's the reason to vote for the bill. But, but it, it,
0: doesn't, the, it doesn't pass the logic. We're also one of the few states who actually has a state surplus. So if we want to be like everybody else, do we get rid of our state surplus so we're like everybody else?
7: Well, I'm telling you, if I'm living in a neighborhood and somebody spray paints my garage and tries to make me go home and move up out of my neighborhood because of who I am, it is a very different crime than if they just happen to be harassing me and there's a vandal spray painting my garage. Now, you say that the judge might be able to have use the judge's discretion, but the judge that's not necessarily required or consistent and we need to send a signal to everyone that they should be safe in their home, for example. I agree. So
0: I agree. But my point is if somebody spray paints your garage to force you out of the neighborhood, should or they to intimidate me. Okay, should they be punished more because you may be of, you know, some ethnicity they don't like should he be punished more because you're of some ethnicity he doesn't like? Or should you be puni- should he be punished equally because you're a Hoosier who deserves to live in peace and tranquility in your neighborhood. Well,
3: what's the point of criminal law? Is it? I mean, is, is it yes. deterrence no. or is it punishment? It and the, th- I think the purpose of this is largely a deterrent. Agreed. It is saying we don't accept this kind of behavior here. We don't condone this kind of behavior here. You have to. You're. You're right. I get what you're saying, Mike. I'm dating a conservative, so I get to have these arguments all the time <laughs> at home. It's really fun. But you I understand what a you're podcast. saying. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yes, actually, on the sofa yeah. with Joe <laughs> Michael. <laughs> not this, Mike. But, but I get what you're saying. These things are already crimes. But the purpose of a bias crimes statute is to say if we know for a fact that the motivating factor behind this crime is hate, then we take that more seriously.
0: But people who are going to act out of that kind of hate are not going to react to a deterrent. If, if deterrence worked in crime, we wouldn't have any murders because we have a death penalty. Right, but people still go murder people every day, in fact, about 150 times a year in Indianapolis.
7: Mike Murphy undermining the death penalty right there, folks. So, I'm just saying, the yeah. turns don't work.
0: The death penalty is good
1: because it punishes evil. Tony, I'll let you weigh in. Obviously, you see why this is a complicated, <laughs> <Really>? controversial argument. <laughs> yeah,
4: good debate, and that's what should be happening. I, I, I agree with Mike on a point, uh, uh, a lot of what he said, maybe all of it, but, but um want to stress the point where Folks that are explaining it, and you guys have done a good job here in the limited time that we have, but folks that are out there explaining it, I think, need to do a better job than just saying, we don't want to be 105. of five. Uh, if, if you pass a law but it doesn't include the list or doesn't include everything on the list, but you're still, um, you've passed a hate crime law or a bias crime law, uh, is, is that good enough? Maybe it is uh, initially, and that's what people are not willing to accept, some people. But remember, going back to when we first started discussing this this year uh, on this show, Speaker Bosma uh, setting the stage for what I think is going to be the end end game, that uh, if something happens, don't you know uh, don't retreat to your corners, accept that and move forward to get something good get, get more done like where does this debate move forward? Well
7: I just want to say I, I agree with them in that the one in five is not the rationale to do this. I mean when we treat when we teach our children not to steal, we don't teach them don't steal because you might get caught. We're teaching them don't steal because it's the wrong thing. And a frustration I had with some of the marriage equality and Rifford debate was that, well it's bad for business. No, it's just bad for people. So getting to the heart of that message and you know I, I hope that um, I'm certain, actually, that people that really care, like J.D. Ford and a number of other legislators, will um, hopefully reti- refrain their, refine their argument and, and continue to try to influence this for good.
1: Some of the business leaders who were there made that point in the hearing, too. That that they also don't think it's just for business, but they felt it was the right thing to do. Let's talk about, again, about Washington and what could be a wild week ahead. We're not sure, waiting to see what may happen to Dan Coats, to the Mueller report, and to uh, a whole series of ongoing issues and controversies in Washington. Well, I think we still
0: have the national emergency to deal with. Um, a great uh, article, which I wish I had time to read word for word on on our podcast, which I know you don't want me to do that. <laughs> We're just, just going to read out National emergency from a magazine called the New American Conservative, where it, it lays out in pretty precise legal argument why the national emergency um, is not going to stand up in court, and in often case happens, the president undermines his own his own. Uh, actions through either some loose comment or a tweet. And he says, I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to do it now, which takes away the argument that it's an emergency at all, right? And the legal, the legal arguments um, against it are that only uh, twice since 1976 has a national emergency been uh, declared when Congress has refused to appropriate money. And that's really what it comes down to. Does he have the act, the right to act when Congress has refused to appropriate money? It's very different from some of the other national emergencies been called in the last 50 or 60 years. When you
1: heard Senator Braun in the interview that our uh, Frank Mickens did with him, uh, and Senator Braun's been fairly um, tight in terms of uh, being <coughs> with the president in terms of policy and on the national emergency, but said you know, maybe he didn't go about it the right way. Maybe the style, maybe uh, the style was. Uh, at times antagonizing for people, but that's who he is, that's his style. Uh, were you surprised to hear that at all from, from Senator Braun? Um,
4: no, I mean, everybody can uh, try to explain the president the way they want. I guess I I'm, I'm, uh, i don't have a problem with what Braun, Senator Braun said. The way I look at this is it is a national emergency. Whether that'll hold up in court, I'm not sure. I'm not a, an attorney, but here's why it's a national emergency people have been dying because we don't have a uh, real border wall for decades and decades while Congress and whoever was president has been talking about fixing it. Those deaths continue, so that makes it a national emergency. Here, since the president's uh, been in office, again, Congress refused to act. That's where The messaging hasn't been what I think it could be. When the president says, I don't have to do it, he means because it hasn't been done, he could let uh, things go the way they've been with people dying, but he doesn't want to. That's why he's declaring it a national emergency, because Congress has failed to act, and because people are dying because of the, the gangs. Uh, the drugs and so on and so forth. House
1: Democrats putting forth a measure uh, this week to try and uh, prevent the National Emergency Declaration from from happening.
7: Absolutely, they are. And it seems that there's some support there as well. Um, I think a great many number of conservative Republicans as well, you know, are concerned for our Constitution. And they're concerned that Congress does not um, deal away some of its power regarding these sorts of issues or, or its 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 responsibility regarding its its fiscal um, charge. And Senator so,
1: Young more or less said that, too, last week. That he,
7: he did. And I think you'd find some of the things from Representative Banks is that Representative Banks has said as well, kind of create that echo chamber among some of our military-minded, and both of those are very military-minded men, that um, they might not quite appreciate this um, Uh, sort of crafted emergency, but they do certainly care about the Constitution.
0: But let me say that, that, you know, in the the Federalist Papers, both Hamilton and Madison argued that one of the prime checks that the Congress has on the president is the power of the purse, right? When George W. Bush declared a a national emergency after 9-11, the reason he did it is because he needed to spend money now and Congress didn't have time to go through the process. And then Congress followed up by endorsing what he did. This is very different. It's been a protracted debate, as Tony correctly pointed out. Uh, Congress has refused both, both, by the way, both in the Republican majority and the Democratic majority to follow the president, right? Yeah. And now he's decided that he's not getting what he wants from the other branch of government, so he's going to do
3: it no matter what.
1: Mike has brought it to Hamilton
3: here, I, which I'm sure I, he's I was, going to do a live performance, yeah. perhaps a book yeah. on tape. we can right. do a reading of the Federalist Papers uh, on our next podcast. No. I wanted to just really quickly touch, I wasn't a great law student, but I did go to law school. <laughs> on this concept of proximate cause, With right? With Todd Young, by the way. I did. Right? Yes. Uh, did uh, and I, yeah, He's, uh, and his last was name is... Was he a good student? Yes, he was a very good student. He spent every... T- <laughs> so while I was screwing around, trying to figure out what the case from the night before was, and like messaging my friends for the answers, he was always diligently preparing his notes and like posting photos of his family on social media, nice. and it was just really disheartening because he's a really good human being. Um, that being a good said, too. And his last name is Y and mine's W, so we sat really close Alphabetical, to Alphabetical, right. Alfa- yeah. So Your anyway, Lockers yes. are next to each other. Yeah, we, yeah. They don't have lockers in no law lockers school. No lockers no, in law no. school, Dan. <laughs> um, no, I wanted to, so the idea, and in this, I'm mixing a little bit of federalism in here, which is not appropriate, but... This proximate cause argument, Tony, last week you said on the show basically in as much that this is a, this, the border wall is political. It has been very good for Donald Trump, very good for his base. It's a galvanizing thing. But if we want to take the issue of proximate cause, which basically in layman's terms is if I shove into Mike who's sitting next to me and he falls over on Christina and she falls off her chair and you know on her way down like I, cuts Tony's hand, which his hand is already cut from a water bottle notwithstanding... Hmm that I would be held responsible for Tony's cut. And the argument you're making is essentially that, that it's a national emergency because these people for a long time have been coming across the border, bringing drugs in, committing acts of violence, to which I ask this question. All right, how many people every year die in drunk driving crashes, right? Is there a national emergency to outlaw alcohol? There is not. But I guarantee you more people drive drunk and kill people or kill themselves than are being killed or affected, proximately or not proximately, by not having a finished border wall. And that may not make a lot of sense, but like, I, I just feel like it's just this false argument that we have to have this thing and we have to have this now, which the president essentially admitted to. It's politics, and I get that, but it's not a national emergency.
0: By the way, I think Christina would sue
4: me. I'm not worried about Tony being litigious. Well, let me, let me just I would take not that out a little bit. I, it is a national emergency, in my opinion, and, and, and maybe I think more than half the country. But here's why. Yeah, you can point to people commit murder, people commit uh, drug offenses, people uh, you know, kill other people because of uh, drunk driving. But the people that are here that wouldn't be here because this country should have a strong border, like all countries should have a strong border. That's the difference. But they're not all coming over the border. They're not, not, no, but we are talking about folks, and I'll just say it, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone out there that might be listening, but uh, our our Colts linebacker, Edwin Jackson, who died because of uh, someone that um, came over illegally and had been deported but was back killed both him and the uber driver and that just would not have happened how do you know he came over the border yeah no how do you know he came over the border that's like not the thing illegally. to argue. that's not the thing to argue it was reported but that's not the thing you argue because you can't argue that this happened.
7: no we're
3: talking it, oh, about you know, a wall not, not the but border but what i'm
4: saying is those folks whether it's a, a, a ms-13 gang victim or someone that's killed by somebody uh, in, in an accident that shouldn't have been here, or deliberate, those people would be living their lives, their families' lives wouldn't be ruined. Uh, on and on, you can go, you, you know, with what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say, but for a border that wasn't. But, but what that's the no, final point. We got to wrap it up. And we'll look, yeah, okay, it. Tony, it's
7: Good my turn. The problem with your argument is that there is no cause-effect relationship that has been demonstrated. It's, it's no, let me finish. Sense. I listen to you. This no, this is common, common sense. sense. This is common sense, Tony. People come in in tunnels. People come in hidden in people's trunks across the border opening. People fly here. In fact, most people fly here and overstay their visas. That is should be addressed. not a wall. Okay, But, that but things, you're not addressing a That's not, that's included. not that included. Why aren't they are being addressed as well, as well as the wall? Are really
4: not right. Why are they, are they not being addressed as well people. as the wall? And here's, and my, is, are, I
3: want they to go back to the wall. i to the I went
4: behind years you're starting to sound and like just CNN. Yeah. Let her speak. And everybody politicized. So Don Lemon in this
3: group. Let her speak. <laughs> All right. My point is, I, I get what you're saying, and we can address that issue. But <laughs> the guy who uh, was in that crash, right? Yeah. He was drunk. We can talk about the wall, but there are no plans to address whether it's drunk driving or the gun issue. Okay. So there's people coming over the border, uh, and they're committing these acts of violence with guns. But where's the plan on guns? It's not actually. If those people were just coming over the border, are they going to come up and like, just strangle people? Probably not. They're, they're committing acts of violence, whether with vehicles or violent weapons. But yeah. all you want to talk about is the damn wall. No,
4: no. I want to talk about stopping those people from being killed that should have gone on with their lives. all right, but I literally all right They're I'm literally going to turn the right, lights all right, all right, off on right, right. us so we can. Sorry. I just want to so win the nub out of the five o'clock news.
1: <laughs> but Mike wants the Peace Prize. We've gone back to Dr. law school. <laughs> We've had a, a, an impassioned debate that will no doubt continue. So thank you all for being here. Thank you. We'll do it again next week.